In 2003, Hani Talgia co-founded the first ever Palestinian women's national football team. That's soccer to us Americans. People sometimes ask me, how many languages do you speak? I said English, Arabic and football. Yes, now a little bit German. But a football is definitely a language. When we go anywhere around the world and you say, I come from football, people like are impressed. And then they start, you start having a conversation. You make a lot of friends. Football, for me, it's my life. And uh, it has always been. And it's my community. It's my surrounding. It's my ledger time. It's my free time. It's my work. It's my, you know, so um, I, I breathe football, literally. From foreign policy and Doha debates, this is The Long Game, a podcast about the power of sports to change the world. I'm your host, Ibtihaj Mohammed. Hani Talgia isn't just a gifted athlete. She's a leader, a rebel, a breaker of barriers. Now retired from competition, Honey works as a manager of corporate communications for FIFA. She recently told her story to reporter Ken Shulman. So my name is Honey uh, Talgia. I was born in Bethlehem, Palestine. Well, I have a big family, so we are um, five, two brothers, two sisters. I'm in the middle together with my parents. Uh, we grew up in a very small house, in, in in a very old house, actually, in the narrow streets of Bethlehem, close to the church uh, where it's believed Jesus was born. I know this is a very broad question, but what was it like in Bethlehem at the time, politically, with the occupation? Well, I grew up in a, I would say, in a war zone, right? Like my childhood was so completely different than other kids growing up in different environments around the world. And I know that my story is the same story as probably many kids growing up in difficult circumstances, conditions, political uh, barriers, etc. So, yes, I grew up in the 90s where the first war hit already in 1988 uh, and then it continued it never stopped every time we think that I grow older something will change the situation will be better uh, the future will arise but unfortunately from one war to another from another tragedy to another catastrophe all my childhood was spent in fear injustice inequality and insecurity because uh, I, I grew up uh, knowing uh, that tomorrow might never come uh, because of the situation so uh, it, it's really uh, outstanding. It's horrible. I never wish that any child will grow up in such a childhood because um, sometimes it's just traumatized you all your life or sometimes it makes you stronger and give you the opportunities to fight and try to change your life and wish for a better future for others. Can you recall one or more specific incidents that were truly traumatizing, terrifying, when you just realized that this was not a childhood that anyone would want? I mean, absolutely. Raiding our house was, was an issue, you know, in the first and second intifada, like um, I was still a teenager. And before that, as a child, when soldiers, hundreds of soldiers raid your house and ask you to be out for no reason. I was sleeping, actually. And then my sister came and said, honey, the soldiers are in, just get up. And I thought I was having a nightmare. So like, I couldn't even turn, I couldn't even bother to 
get out uh, because I thought it's just a nightmare. And then uh, the, the the voices has increased and the, uh, and the soldier was trying to push to see who is in sleeping, of course, because they were looking everywhere and trying to find anything that uh, uh, I don't know what's in their heads. But anyway, so uh, it's terrifying. It's it's still like it comes with nightmares from time to time. Uh, it's, it's a trauma that we lived through and have been through all our life. At what point did you discover football? So football, football was the, actually the glimpse of hope that for one reason from the universe or from heaven or from God that I was talented in in this beautiful game. So we just basically had nothing to do as children. You know, we grew up with uh, very limited resources. My parents were very uh, coming from a very modest family. Uh, their main mission was that uh, they managed to get us fees to go to school. That is the one number one mission. The rest was not affordable. The only option was like just seeing the kids, uh, my neighbors, uh, uh, the boys playing football in the street um, in my neighborhood. And then I thought, uh, why should I not join? Uh, and there, when I started joining them, I discovered my love to this game. And I found out that I was really good and I was talented, literally, like with my moves, with my running, with my skills, with tackling the ball. Yes, at that time, we didn't have a proper ball. Uh, it was mainly newspapers wrapped into each other because the situation was not the best. And I found my freedom there. I found my my dignity. I found myself and I found that this is my world. Do you remember the first time you tried to play with the boys in the street? Of course, the first time I wanted to uh, kick around with them, it was by chance because I was passing by and then uh, the ball comes to me and then I started dribbling with it because I saw how people uh, play football on TV. I grew up watching football uh, on our black and white TV at that time with my father and my siblings. So I knew how it feels. So I started dribbling with the ball and then the boys were like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> like, how come? Because I'm sure at that time they never seen a girl playing football or dribbling with the ball. So... At the beginning, they were shocked, but at the same time, they were kind of happy, but they didn't want to show it that, oh, she could join us in playing in the streets. So it was a mixed feeling of their reactions, which I still see it until today, whether I'm a woman on the pitch or off the pitch. How did your parents react? You as a little girl, I know I'm sure they're incredibly <laughs> proud of you now, but was there some resistance from your parents? Well, you know, of course, I mean, when you start something that it is not um, common, it's always a challenge to accept something new, to accept someone stepping out of the comfort zone, uh, trying to embrace something different in a society where it's believed uh, what girls should do and what should not do. My mom has always been proud, and so she was supporting me at all level. Uh, she's my role model in that because uh, she understood that the society and the challenges and all that, but she she knew that um, I developed a great passion for this game and I was good at it because she was watching me at school and she was following me and encouraging me secretly, actually, that my dad doesn't get angry. I was not allowed to go to the streets from my parents and mainly from my dad. And of course, the challenge started when I said, but look, uh, we are two girls and two uh, boys in, in our family. 
When my, my brothers are in the street, he never said anything. And when I was in the street, it was like, you should be home and all this uh, stuff. I'm like, how can you justify that my brothers can play in the street while I am not allowed? What is, what is the reason? I was believing that we were born equal, you know? And that's where my kind of revolution started in where I go and where I am. Since I'm little, I grew up, I think, as a rebel who needs answers for things that it is not convincing. And he never had a convincing answer, of course. Like he would tell me, yeah, but girls shouldn't do that. Why not? Yeah, it's the culture. It's the mentality. Yeah, but so what? You know, this word haram goes uh, along all the way from the moment you, you are born until uh, you die. This is haram. Uh, this is uh, shame. You shouldn't do this. You know, whether if you laugh loud or you sit differently or uh, you dress differently or or you're with the boys, or, you know, you, you show confidence. It's always the society that puts you into boxes and limits you the way that they want. Did your father eventually come around? And how did he come around? Of course, when he switched my dad, it was uh, one of the biggest events that we launched the first league in Palestine um, in 2008 when the president of uh, Palestine was there and the president of FIFA at that time. And I was the captain of the women's national team. So, And then it was this event in all of the newspapers. So, of course, my dad took the newspaper and he was like, did you see my daughter? <laughs> She's with the presidents of this and, the, you know, so now he always keeps telling me, honey, please change the story. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I am here today thanks to you, you know, so I take this as an opportunity that without all these challenges, probably I'm not the person who I am today, right? Because uh, I was put under pressure. I was... Uh, uh, asked to not to, the, to do things and um, I was punished sometimes but that's who made me who I am so I think he became uh, proud seeing that uh, I am portrayed in TVs and magazines and newspaper raising up the voice fighting for for other girls fighting for uh, humanity fighting for rights fighting uh, so so for me football was the way actually to fight for a lot of issues Football was her way, a way that made her father proud, a way that gave her purpose, that took her to Europe and the U.S., where she saw young people, far from the tragic backdrop of war, playing soccer on manicured grass fields smooth enough to shoot pool on. In 2003, she helped found the Palestinian women's national football team. She was named its first captain. Her world was changing. Anything seemed possible. But representing Palestine on the pitch wasn't easy. To tell you how this affected our results, our uh, achievement, of course it did, because how can we meet in one place, on one stadium, when girls from Ramallah and Jerusalem and Jericho and Bethlehem can't meet in one place without being delayed at checkpoints and borders? And how can we meet also the girls from Gaza? There's a huge separation between the two uh, regions, while it's only a maximum two hours drive from uh, from the West Bank to Gaza. So, of course, like it doesn't give you the best talent of the people because you can't select, you don't see the, the talent that exists in different places, in different cities. 
but also like the infrastructure. You can't even build a normal uh, football pitch because then you need to have the authorization from the uh, Israeli authorities. You can't build on areas because it's split between area B and A and C. A for the Palestinians, B it's mixed and C for the Israeli. It's so complicated at all level. Like it's even like hard to to like for people to understand it. You know, like my sister lives in Jerusalem and I'm not allowed to go and see her whenever I want because I need uh, a special permit from the Israeli government. And that is insane because we just live 15 kilometers away from each other. And whenever she she needs to see us or need to see her, we need uh, a specific reason to write and to apply. And that is really not human even. And that affects all the sports, definitely, from infrastructure to free of movement to traveling to participate in tournaments and events. So we had to travel from Jordan all the time. Some some of my teammates, they didn't even make it to uh, participate in championships because they were stopped and uh, was asked to come back, to return back. So we have to live up with all these challenges every single day in our life. You're listening to The Long Game, from Foreign Policy and Doha Debates. I'm your host, Ibtihaj Mohammed. Now, back to our conversation with the co-founder of the Palestinian women's national football team, Honey Talgia. As captain of the, of the national team, and as, as captain of other teams, were there times when your teammates just lost hope and you had to find a way to motivate them? Of course. They, they would come to you and say, what's the point? And what was the point? Of course, of course. There's a lot of time, you know, we lost hope. We are also vulnerable human being uh, because, of course, football helped to get us out from all uh, these difficulties. But still, we got, we come back home and there is much stuff much bigger. There is the girl who can't have bread for dinner, for example, on their table. Or there's the girl can't go to school because the parents can't afford paying her for school. Or we have to walk distance because there's no transportation or money to afford to to get back home after a football training and uh, and these difficulties of course make them lose hope because also we didn't have the enough equipment support financial means so we say why we are doing it but of course our hope was that no we want to continue doing it because this is how we deliver our message. This is how we show the world a different narrative, a different story about the Palestinian people, about the struggle we live. This is our voices for the outside world to show that uh, we love life and we want to fight for it in a beautiful way. It's in a fair play in football, which is a just game, which is uh, bringing people together, which is for all, regardless of your nationality, uh, gender, background, uh, Whatever differences, the football brought us together. So it brought us to cry together, to laugh together, to smile together, to feel with each other. And that was our hope. When we come together, that was our happiness indeed. That was, we felt that we own the world. The, the world is ours. And in football, we believe that we are free, regardless of all um, the circumstances that surrounded us from every corner on every level. But how did it come to your mind that sport was a way to express a narrative 
because in sports i felt like it gave me so many things uh, it built up my confidence it made me um fight a whole of a society and a whole of norms and traditions um it empowered me as a person as a young girl that i have a cause and through the the sports through the football i can fight this cause because i said football is justice you know football is a just game so i thought with this game i can build up on so many things and uh, fight for others as well because um it happened to me and i managed and i went through all the circumstances through all the odds and, and the impossibilities i found it i found a way where it's possible and then i started to believe that no for me it's not about just winning or losing um it's about much more than this yes we didn't win any tournaments i must say we were amateur level we were losing most of the time actually because we didn't have the capacity the right uh, infrastructure equipment coaches at that time everything like it was very amateur but we still participated in tournaments and events but for us it was putting palestine on the map where i knew politically we are still not on the map sadly speaking i mean the un recognized palestine as a state just recently with even like an observer state not a fully state so what politics couldn't do football managed to do and that's for me was was uh, the way to go forward football is our way football is it's an instrument to fight all these challenges prejudices yes of course it's not going to change the world and make me have a free palestine which i wish one day inshallah. but it's definitely empowered inshallah <laughs> but it definitely empowered me and empowered so many girls so many youngsters to have a better future and to move forward In 2005, the team competed in the West Asian Football Federation Women's Championships in Jordan. Four years later, in 2009, Honey went back to Jordan, this time for a FIFA training course, and her world changed again. While I was training, like my uh, knee flipped and um, I heard the tick and uh, <laughs> and that was really like, I, I was not aware of, uh, of the injuries at that time because what would do I know about it? But then I thought it's just a, a click. But um, I tell you, as we say in Arabic, I saw the stars uh, in the day, you know. <laughs> Then I thought it's okay, so I started working on it because three weeks after the Palestinian FA was organizing the biggest ever football match for women in a stadium for the first time on 11 sides on the Faisal Hussaini Stadium with 15,000 spectators, with FIFA presence, with the world leaders. And I got injured just three weeks before that match. And this match was the match that I was waiting for since I started playing football. So for me, it was really one of the saddest moments in my life because as I mentioned, football was everything for me. But it also taught me so many things. It taught me that, uh, okay, we don't stop here. Now what's next? So what was next? Honey had already inspired thousands of girls all over the world. She'd brought pride and dignity to her people. How do you follow that act? For Honey, the next act was a master's degree through FIFA that brought her and her message to England, 
Italy, and Switzerland, and prepared her for the next chapter of her journey. Changing perceptions, uh, changing mindsets, uh, uh, telling them who we are, we really are as Palestinians, because a lot of media portray us in a in a in a dark way that uh, uh, you know they don't cover the real truth about the Palestinian people and the potentials that we have, the talent we have, the education we have, the personalities we have. So. Uh, then I thought after the injury, that is also my goal to carry this mission um, and to change the lives of girls, not only in Palestine, but beyond. And Honey continues to pursue that goal with determination, with hope, and as always with a smile, even when she doesn't feel like smiling. Of course, definitely the political situation was overwhelming and still overwhelming for all uh, uh, athletes uh, and people living still under occupation. You know, Palestine is still under occupation uh, uh, since uh, 1948 uh, and uh, uh, things are not even uh, improving or even developing. So we are losing hope step by step. Every time we think that prime minister change, things will change. Uh, you know, we are fed up. People want peace. People want justice. People want uh, to go to work peacefully. We want a health environment. We want a, a free movement, which we don't have. And that where it comes uh, to how the political environment affected uh, me uh, uh, as an athlete. Definitely, because everywhere we go, there is a checkpoint. There is a wall. There is a, a high eight meters concrete wall. Like uh, if I go back to Bethlehem, I need two days traveling back to Bethlehem from Zurich, while I can do it only in three hours and a half from Zurich to Tel Aviv. But because I'm Palestinians, I don't have the right to, because I live under occupation. I'm from the West Bank. I have a, a green ID. Um, the differences between um, uh, the IDs, the plates of the cars. I have a car in Bethlehem. I cannot drive more than uh, five kilometers with the car because after that, there is a wall. There is a checkpoint. So you just go within a circle like a prison open from up. And that's what we are facing every day in our life. And it didn't change. I think, in my opinion, it became worse because the walls didn't even exist before 2003. I'm thinking that when you were seven walking home and you first started to play with those boys, you didn't have any of this in mind. This evolved over time. And it's really very beautiful. I knew growing up in a circumstances where you can be really miserable um, and frustrated and depressed, but I knew that also uh, we need to understand that life is too short and we need to embrace every opportunity and be happy of what we have. And if we are not, we need to find a way to change it. So um, I consider myself as an activist for these topics because I have been through them. Literally, like if you talk about patriarchy, I grew up in a patriarchal society. If you talk about football, that it is mainly dominated sport, I played football all my life. If you talk about women in a macho society, in a boys club, I am a woman who is working in football and who has all been my life in football. So if you talk about human rights, whether it's in football or in societies, I have been through all the human rights issues that I had to uh, grow up with every day in my life. My fight is for freedom, for justice, for equality at all levels, whether it's for Palestinians or for people all around the world, because I know what does it mean to go through all this. I have been through this. So if I have the power... Just with a little power, if I have it, I'm ready to 
use all the capacity I have to influence change and inspire others for change. And football is my way. That's it for this episode of The Long Game. I'm your host, Ibtihaj Mohammed. The Long Game is a co-production of Foreign Policy and Doha Debates. This episode was produced by Ken Shulman and Karen Given, with help from Dan Efron, Rob Sachs, Jafid Weeks, Amjad Atala, and Jigar Metha. Make sure to follow us on Apple or your favorite podcast app. And please leave us a review. To learn more, subscribe to Foreign Policy, a global magazine of news and ideas, or visit Doha Debates, a production of Qatar Foundation. Next week on the podcast, Scout Bassett is a Paralympian, a five-time world medalist, and most importantly, she's my good friend. And she has a message for other girls and young women living with disabilities. A woman with a disability is beautiful, and she's not evil, and she's not scary, and a villain, and that she can be powerful and strong, and, uh, you know, all the things that she wants to be, because that's how I see myself. But, But I say that because I didn't always feel that way about myself. That's in two weeks, after the winter holiday, on The Long Game.